that's something. What's that called? A stump what? Stump fiddle. That's, enge that's engineering at its finest right there. It's fantastic. And Mitchell, you rock it. It's, that's awesome. We just got like a bunch of stuff and crammed it on a stick and it's music. That's fantastic. Love it. Well, today we uh, are wrapping up a series, uh, like Melissa said, that we've called Set the Table and how God uses the table as a tool for discipleship. And uh, hopefully um, we uh, have hit a nerve somewhere where you can use uh, what we've talked about in a, in a great way. And last week we started looking at uh, the last chapter of Luke, and that's where we'll be again today, Luke chapter 24, if you want to find that in your Bibles. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, and we meet these two guys, and they're on a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, these two disciples, they're full of anticipation. They're looking forward to great things just three days earlier before their walk because of all the things that they heard from Jesus and the time that they spent with him and the way that he taught. And all things pointed to something great, that this was the Messiah. And uh, they, they were lived in great anticipation until, <clears throat> excuse me, until that anticipation turned to disappointment. When Jesus did not, uh, things uh, that following Jesus didn't follow, it didn't turn out the way that they thought it would. It didn't turn out for Jesus the way they thought it would. They thought that he was the king of kings, the Messiah come to earth. And it didn't turn out for them, actually, the way they thought it would. And so they had some disappointment that they, they had in their lives, and they're headed home. They're, they're headed away from all of the action. And even though earlier that morning they, they heard at least a rumor that Jesus was not there. There was no body in the, in the tomb. And their friends, they go and they check it out. And sure enough, no body. And chances are, when they, when they were headed out of town, they probably went by where Jesus was buried. And he was not there. And uh, it, the tomb was empty. But in their first thought through all of this was not, oh, he's alive. Right? That's not what anybody thought. Nobody anticipated Jesus coming back from what he experienced on the cross. He was dead, he was buried, and that just didn't happen. Dead people stayed dead. That's the way it worked. And uh, Jesus was not in the tomb, and that afternoon, they take their walk to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up. He just is there, and he walks along with them. And uh, they didn't realize at the time that it was him, right? That was by design, uh, and, and Jesus pours into their life. They, they share what they experienced. They share what was going on. And, and Jesus begins to pour into them on this walk. And he gives them a total history of the whole Old Testament, right? He gives them the whole story of the whys and the hows uh, of Jesus coming to earth. All of the prophecies, the things that Moses, starting with Moses, and he just ripped through the entire Old Testament, basically, and told them everything that pertain to the Messiah coming to earth. And then finally, they sit down at the table. And they're sitting there over dinner. Jesus reveals himself to them, who he really is. And, and they are moved so much, they get so excited that they just have to go back to Jerusalem, right? And that's where we left off. Today, we're going to wrap up with these two guys with a few thoughts 
Um, but the first question I have today is, did anybody get a slice of pie this week? Yes, amen. I see that hand. That's fantastic. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you missed last week, um, check out the podcast. It was, it was riveting, riveting message that you should very, very much go back and look at. We talked about pie from Rolling Hills or anywhere else. Just pie in general is good. So that had nothing to do with anything. Um, these two men are on a significant journey, uh, both literally and spiritually. They're on a walk. They're on a literal walk, right? They're walking back to where they came from. And uh, they, they were walking because that was the only mode of transportation readily available to everyone. Everyone pretty much had feet, and they knew how to use them. The rich people, um, they would ride on animals, but most of the time, it was walking, even for them. And so they were also walking in pairs, which is, is beneficial. It's a wise thing to do in those times to be with someone else on a long journey like that because it was dangerous. You know, walking alone opened yourself up to um, some, some thieves and rob, robbers, uh, see the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Well, the seven-mile walk, it was not a big deal for them. And like, we would think, seven miles, I'm not walking, like, America, so it's about the same a distance. I'm not walking there just because, right? We'll drive, no problem, but it was not a big deal. Probably took them two and a half, three hours or so to journey to um, that seven miles. And so the circumstances of the day also made this walk a spiritual walk because a lot had happened in a similar journey uh, that every person here and then takes as well when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. They had a lot of things to come to realization on their walk. And Jesus actually shows up, right? The, the same is true for us. They go from not recognizing Jesus at all and uh, understanding that they were walking with a resurrected Christ and to having a better understanding of Scripture as a whole uh, because of uh, and what it says about Jesus, both before he came and now after. So uh, to recognize, um, they, they also begin to recognize who Jesus really was, right, and who he is in our lives. And uh, to accept this reality of what Jesus did for them. They become um, uh, very aware of what he did. Everything he said he would do, but he, they become very aware of what he did for them. And so this spiritual journey um, that we all walk, it, it's important. But there are, uh, there are more people that are introduced um, that... Uh, to, to, to Jesus through Scripture, right? When we take this journey, it's how we recognize and acknowledge who Jesus is. And they don't, some people don't get very far down the road. Some people choose not to take that walk at all. And it, it's disappointing for us because we know what you can experience when you walk in step with Jesus Christ. But not everybody chooses to do that. Uh, and more people are introduced to Jesus through this scripture, both by reading, reading the Bible, right? But also by witnessing and the scripture being lived out through our lives. And uh, that's actually probably a bigger billboard for um, getting people involved in what scripture says than anything because of the way that we live our lives. And they begin to understand, these two men, they begin to understand more and more who Jesus really is. And their spiritual walk begins by recognizing and then accepting 
what Jesus did for them on the cross. And that is the goal, right? Recognizing and accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross. Entering a grace-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at five things today as we wrap up that Jesus does in the middle of this encounter between the two men. One of his names Cleopas. We don't know who the other one is. Um, and, and then uh, Jesus, who just that morning rose from the dead. And we're going to go a little further down the road after towards the end. So the first thing that Jesus shows us in this little encounter uh, as they walk to Emmaus, Jesus seeks them out, okay? Jesus, he found these two men walking away from Jerusalem. And so the question is, has Jesus ever found you walking away from where he was? They were walking away from where Jesus was buried, but he was, he was rose again. He was, he was alive. They didn't understand it at the time, but the body, was not, the body of Jesus was gone, and they still were walking away back to their old life. And Jesus seeks them out. They, they had lost all hope because they thought that hope was crucified and died, right? But he, Jesus seeks them out. And uh, when, when he walked along with them, even though they didn't recognize him, and that was by design at the time, they didn't understand fully that the Savior of the world had sought them out specifically. He just shows up on the road with these two guys as they're walking away. And that's the thing for us. He, he uh, sought these two men out. Jesus seeks us, too. He craves that relationship with you and me, Right? He, that we're no different than those two were because we can be found walking away from him at times. And we can be found going back to our old way of life, even though we've experienced the love uh, and the, uh, the grace of Jesus, we can be found walking away from him. And he comes up and he finds us. He meets us where we, wherever we are, right? And it doesn't matter if you're at the bottom of all bottoms, right, at rock bottom or whatever, but even at the top of the mountain, he finds us where we are, and he uh, wants to have that relationship with us, and he wants it to be reciprocal. He wants us to have a relationship with him, too. So Jesus seeks them out. The second thing is Jesus opens their eyes, right? He, he uses Scripture to reveal himself in his own story. He, his story to them was all of the New Old Testament and what the prophets had said. This is how it's going to happen. And then maybe even referred to a few things that he taught them while he was uh, traveling around in his ministry, right? But he reminds them and he reveals to them who he is and he opens their eyes. Through that history lesson, they begin to understand all of what Jesus had done and all that he had taught them. And their minds were opened a little bit to what was going on. And eventually, they recognized Jesus for who he is, right? They thought that that was the case. But then he died, and they weren't just sure. They didn't know. And it would have been weird, right? We don't know how to, we, we know the end of the story. But at that point, um, on Saturday, all night, all day Saturday and Sunday morning, when they just weren't sure, can you imagine how hopeless you would feel? But we know the end of the story, and it's a great story of grace and victory over the grave. But Jesus opens our eyes, too, in, in this situation. The more that we encounter him through Scripture, 
right? The more that we dive into his word and read about it and who Jesus was and all the people that were affected by his ministry and, and how to live out our lives, we, we experience this through others in the way that, that uh, people testify to us and share their stories about um, what Christ has done for them. Again, around the table is a great place to do that. And eventually, um, we, we recognize Jesus for who he really is. The more we understand who Jesus is and what he did for us through the testimonies of others and just seeing what God does for us in our lives and entrusting our lives to him. And, and through scripture, he does that for us and he helps open our eyes. And the third thing that Jesus does in this uh, little walk, he reveals himself to them. In, in, a, in a spiritual way that no one could, they, he opened their eyes at a, at a specific moment on purpose. After this long walk of sharing, um, Jesus sits at the table with them, and something very familiar happens. Just last Thursday, remember this is Sunday evening for them, Jesus rose from the dead Sunday morning, it's the first Easter, if you want, right? We didn't, they didn't call it that then, but... Thursday, the day Thursday before, they all sat at where? At a table. And the disciples were there eating the Passover feast. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And we were reminded of that every time we take communion together. And he does this again with these two men. Something very familiar to them when he breaks the bread. And at, and at once they realize, oh, this is that's Jesus. Because Jesus revealed himself to them. And he breaks the bread and he opens it and then poof, he's gone, right? He, he's out of there on to the next t- place, the next encounter with whoever he was going to visit. And Jesus reveals himself to us too in, in a lot of spiritual ways through the lives of others, other followers. When they walk along the, a hard journey, we think about so many people in our church that have experienced hardships just in the last four or five months, right? When, when Jesus walks along with them and we get to see in their testimony how God has used them and strengthened their faith and been able to uh, uphold them, and it hasn't been easy. And, and Jesus said, it's not going to be easy, right? This world is a hard place because of sin. But because he walks alongside of us and reveals himself to us that, um, through, and through the lives of others, we have this opportunity to grow closer to him. And these testimonies, they're shared about how Jesus changed their lives. Who doesn't love that, right? We love to hear good things about what, because it helps strengthen my faith. Like, oh, I've been through that. I understand. And it becomes very real to us, and it can change our hearts in a powerful way if we allow it to. And you might say, well, I don't have the faith enough to do that. I don't have the strength to do that. You're right. But Jesus does. He has the strength to to pull you through and sometimes pick you up and carry you, right? Who uh, We have a few this week that that, uh, yesterday were in the the gravel race, the bike race. And one of the craziest pictures ever, they had to carry their bikes through the mud. They didn't get to ride, they got to carry. And that must have been horrible to, to lug that along, lug your bike along, slopping through the mud. But that's what our relationship can be like when, when Jesus sees us. Like, yeah, you need some help, right? They needed a trailer or some dry ground, something. 
And that's what Jesus provides for us, that he'll pick us up along with our bike and our burdens and whatever else we're carrying, and he'll walk us through it when he reveals himself to us. The fourth thing that he does uh, in this time is he moves these men to share, to, to, to tell everybody what was going on. As soon as they recognize that Jesus was at the table, he was gone, and they, they have to go tell somebody. And I don't know if there was nobody awake in Emmaus or what the story was. If they were staying in that house alone, they couldn't have just told them. I don't know. They run all the way back to Jerusalem, another seven-mile walk, probably a little quicker pace this time, because they were so excited because Jesus moved them to share. Their hearts were on fire. They even mentioned it in the, in the end of this encounter with Jesus that weren't our hearts on fire when he was speaking to us. We knew who it was. We just didn't understand what was going on. And they, uh, they, they run back, and it would have been much more dangerous at this point because it's probably dark by now. And, um, but that part didn't matter to them. They were just going to go, and, and that's the way our Christian lives are. Sometimes we just have to go into the dark and, and let Jesus guide our steps, right? It's the way it works. That's called faith. That means that we have to trust in the, that God is going to take care of us while he's working through us. So um, the first thing they did is they find their friends, the ones that went to the, that went to the tomb, and the, the, it was empty, right? And they're still kind of confused and don't know what's going on. And, and all of a sudden, they tell them, this is what happened. We walked forever, and you can just see them reporting to everybody, testifying in front of all their friends what went on as they encountered Jesus that day. Well, Jesus moves us to share as well. This is very important in, the, in our lives. It's being disciples that are making more disciples. That's, our, that's what we want to do. And sharing your story is powerful and necessary, okay? It's not just powerful and you get to keep it, right? It's going to be powerful to you no matter what. But sharing that story is necessary. Others need to know what God does in your life. The little things and the big things, right? Not just when, uh, when we're healed from leprosy or whatever else, we're raised from the dead, like the incredible miracles that Jesus performed, but the little things. Got an A on my test, and that, sometimes that means the grace of God was apparent. Amen, kids? Yeah. Oh, I forgot to study, and I still got an A. Well, God did something, right? He made you remember, if that's what... It, Whatever the case is, little things and big things need to be shared with others. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in our lives we're like, oh, nobody cares. Nobody cares what happened to me in this situation and at this time. But people need to hear and see that Jesus makes a difference in, what we, in who we are. Because most likely, they're going through the same thing. Or they've gone through the same thing, or they're getting ready to go through the same thing. And they need to hear that God will be there, because we've already experienced that. And maybe they'll be able to look back and see God's hand work, uh, and how it worked through them. And then they have a story to tell, and then they get to share that. But that's what we're empowered to do because of the grace that Jesus extends to us. It's to share our story. The last thing that we see Jesus show us tonight in this passage, he challenges them all to be witnesses. 
And uh, this kind of leaks into our focus last week on the day of Pentecost and the birth of the new church. And Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven, uh, and he's been there ever since, right? And he sends the Holy Spirit to be here. Uh, but by this time, um, they have new, we have new developments in these two guys' story, right? Because there's, there's more to the story than just Jesus revealing himself. And then they kind of go back, and we're going to read that. But they see Jesus again. This time back in Jerusalem. So that's where we'll pick up and we'll read through the end, of, uh, close to the end of the chapter, um, just so you can kind of get an idea of what this looked like. Starting in verse 33. And they got up, these two men, they got up and returned once, at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. So they tell them, the two, yeah, we saw you, Simon saw you, it's, gonna, it's real. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus had recognized them as he broke the bread. So already they've been challenged to share, and they're doing it. They're telling everybody what's going on. It's no different than when we find a good place to eat, we want to share that with all, hey, if you haven't been to so-and-so, you should go eat there. It's great. Same way when we meet a new friend, hey, have you met so-and-so? They're fantastic people. You should get to know them. It's the same thing that, that they were just sharing their experience. And in verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Again, poof, there he is. They probably messed with him a little bit. And they were startled and frightened. I think that's probably pretty calm language for what they experienced. Um, when Jesus just showed up in a room, that was locked, and they were all in there together, and Jesus was there. And he says to them, why are you troubled and why do, you doubt, why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as, as, you, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were sti- and while they still did not believe it, believe it because of uh, a joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And he says to them, this is what I told you, and this is our challenge. This is where he says, you're going to be witnesses for me moving forward. And again, he's not just talking about the present time. He's talking about things in the future, and they still don't quite get it, but it's becoming more and more apparent to them. And he said, this is what I've told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to what could under, so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And in verse 48, you are my You are witnesses of all these things. Remember last week, Jesus said, what things? When they were talking about the things that have gone on. You are my witnesses to all these things. I'm going to send you uh, what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed in power from on high. So Jesus appears to all of them. These two guys go back, and they're in the room together with all the other disciples, and he goes back, and he, he probably looked at the two disciples as they were there. He's like, what took you so long? I mean, I've been here all for, for just a couple hours now. Why did it take you so long to get here? Uh, but he, he, he 
they see Jesus in the flesh and in the blood. And he's a real person. But Jesus appears to them in that room, which it was shocking for them, I'm sure. And he proves to them he's alive, he's real, and uh, that he's not a ghost. And, and then he challenges them, setting the course for all discipleship moving forward. Not just for them, but for us. He said, you are my witnesses to all these things. All of them. Remember the, all the miracles that we did when you were in my presence. Remember the, the Sermon on the Mount when we sat on the side of the hill and you heard all of those things about the kingdom of, you, you have heard it said, but I say that the kingdom of heaven is like this. Remember all the parables that we told, that you heard the practical ideas about the kingdom of heaven on earth. Remember all these things. And later, at the beginning of Acts, and he, he tells them that you will be my witnesses. That's how Luke words it. And really, Acts is just a sequel to the book of Luke. Luke writes both the gospel of Luke and he writes the book of Acts. And so, really, Acts is just Luke 2, right? Luke part 2. And he starts off in, Luke, in Acts chapter 1 that you will be my witnesses. And he's saying, um, you are now disciples that are making more disciples. That's your job right now. It starts today. And it starts right here in Jerusalem. And then later in Acts, he kind of expounds that in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and all the other parts of the earth, right? And the challenge is the same for us. It's no different than what he told those disciples in that upper room after being resurrected that day. It's no different the challenge is the same. We are Jesus' megaphone here on earth. That's who we are. It's a huge responsibility for all Jesus' followers that we live our lives as a massive billboard for who Jesus is. Who Paul is is irrelevant, right? Who you are, it doesn't, we live our lives as a reflection of who Jesus is. And, and people see that by the way that we love. And the way that we talk, the way that we persevere when things get hard, when we're struggling with health or family or finances or whatever the case is, when we persevere because of Jesus' faith in, in us and the way that he upholds us, people see that. You see it in the way that we act, in the way that we react, right? When you see something happen and the first thing you do is to unload on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever you get on to, to vent, people see that. And there's a time to use your words, no doubt. But there's also, uh, James tells us to be quick to listen and slow to what? Speak. And so we're the witness in the way that we act, the way that we react the things that we say, all things are on display in our lives. And when we claim to be Jesus' follower, it's our job to share the way that Jesus would share. And I think that Jesus would use Twitter if he were here today because it's a good way. It's a, Facebook is a great way to get the word out about lots of stuff, okay? Um, it helps me doing sermon prep. And we don't, you know, all those little things that we use it for, it's important, but it's also a problem um, when we don't use it the way that Jesus would. And it should be a reflection of who he is in us. So to be followers of Jesus that are inviting others to be followers of Jesus too, that's the way our lives should work. 
because we, we want people to know Jesus. And that's the question today. Bottom line, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Not just know about Jesus. That's easy, right? He has a Wikipedia page. So you can learn about Jesus. Plenty of people know about Jesus, right? Leaders of other religions acknowledge Jesus was a person. He was alive. He was a great guy, right? They didn't know, they, they know about Jesus. They didn't know him, right? People that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and a resurrected Savior who died for the sins of all the world, they know about Jesus. A lot of them do. A lot of them sat in Sunday school as kids, and then they walked away from the church and God and everything that has to do with Jesus for whatever reason. It happens. They know about Jesus. But we, you know, Satan and his demons, they know about Jesus. They recognized who he was in Scripture. We want to know Jesus on a personal level. And you do that by sitting down and getting to know. How do you get to know somebody that you want to be friends with? It's the same way. You sit down and you talk to them through prayer. You learn about who they are. You hear their stories. And that's how our faith grows. Our relationship with Jesus is gradual. It's a gradual experience. We don't just go from... Um, not knowing Jesus at all to this massive, big, wide-open faith. We may feel like that sometimes, but our faith is gradual. We start out like this right here. You got this rubber band, okay? It's a decent-sized rubber band. You can see it, and it's stretchy, right? But this is our faith when we first start out. When we're walking with Jesus and we, everything is brand new, but we're still learning to process and give things away to him and see what he does with it. And it's a process and we can stretch it, but there's a limit to how big this gets, isn't it? Until I go too far and snap myself in the face with the rubber band, right? But our faith goes so far until it gets bigger. When, when God does what God does and he shows that he is trustworthy and he comes through in, in the circumstances that we trust him with, and when he shows us that it's going to be fine, and then we get a little stronger and a little stronger and a little bigger. And the more that we seek and trust in Jesus, the more our faith grows and we continue to be stretched. And eventually, we get a little bigger. Right? This is grown-up faith right here. And this can be stretched. I didn't uh, ask anybody to come and help me and stretch it as far as we could because... We don't have that liability insurance to can't cover that, just in case. But it's, it's a huge faith, right? It just grows and grows, and it can get big. It can get out of shape. There's all kinds of different places it can go. It's a big faith, and it still can be stretched, right? And it can, be go- it can go more and more, and we can get a bigger band if that's what it takes. But it takes time to do that. It, it show- it's God over and over again, showing us that we can trust him because that's, what tr- that's the way trust works, right? But when we see that for what it is, our faith grows. When we see in other people's lives how God works through them, how he heals people that are sick through medicine or divinely, whatever the case is, 
and we, we put that into practice, it makes our faith stronger, and it helps our faith grow. And, and eventually, we end up with the big band type of faith, right? We start out with smaller faith. It's just the way it works, and it's okay. But we don't go from here to here overnight. It's a process, okay? Sports uh, coaches love to talk about the process, But the process is real. It's a process of prayer, of seeking God and letting him reveal himself to us in our lives in different ways. It's a process of surrendering our hearts and our lives and everything that we want and allowing God to have those things in what he wants. It's a process that never stops. Amen? Because this is a big old band, and maybe this is somebody who's had faith in Jesus for years. But there can always be a bigger band. Because eventually, if I had Mitchell stretch this out, it'll probably go to where he's sitting on the front row. Eventually, it's going to get too stretched that it won't go anymore. And we're going to need a little more faith. And we're going to have to see how God works in our lives to get a bigger band. And it's part of the process. The more we dive into his word and see how he works, the more that we allow him into our lives to take over all of those things. It's, what, it's the way that our faith works. It's a process that should never stop. That we should never stop seeking and growing in our relationship with Jesus because he's never stopped seeking us. We're on a journey now with these two men that they were on. Jesus became very real to them who he was and what he stood for. And again, as Jesus sat at the table with someone, all of the encounters that we had over the last five weeks, every time Jesus sat down at the table, someone's life was changed because of the encounter they had with him. But it was a journey for them, all of them. You think about it, right? The Zacchaeuses and Matthew and the woman that came and, and washed Jesus' feet with her tears, all of the people that we talked about, it was a journey for them. The walk that they had, and it didn't happen overnight, right? Because they didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't understand fully what Jesus was to them until he became real to them. But at the table that night, on their journey, Jesus was real to those two men. And they just had to share it. And we're no different. Jesus needs to become real to us. In some way. And he does that in different ways in all of our lives. And it is a process. And we want to be a part of that process for as many people as possible. I want to do that in the relationships that I have. I want to be a part of that process. And people that I know want to be a part of my process. That's the way it works. That's called being disciples that are making more disciples. And we don't want to do, uh, we don't want to be a problem that keeps Jesus from being real to someone else. We want to be a part of the solution, right? And we have the power of God at work within us to make that happen. The Holy Spirit can guide and direct us. And he does all the lifting, right? God does all the hard work. We're just there to support and do what God prompts us to do. And when we listen, it makes Jesus more real to us as well. So the table is set for us, right? We've talked about it for over a month now. To go and be disciples, to be Jesus followers that are making more Jesus followers. Because the table is a place. 
We talked about it, where our story unfolds and where we engage people in a deep way and we appreciate the relationships the most that sit around that table because when you sit at a table, everything is focused inward on the people that are there. We don't sit at a table and then look at the wall, right? We sit at a table and we look inward towards all the people around it. The table is a place that we appreciate all those relationships. The table is at the center of every invitation that is powerful. And they're the inv- to, it, it's a place of in- invitation to invitable people. They're all welcome, right? Invitable people. The uninvitable people, they're welcome too. And sometimes it's good just to invite yourself into someone else's table, just like Jesus did with Zacchaeus, because that's what's important at the time. Our tables are full, and full tables are better than empty ones. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And they're called, we are called to fill those tables up with everyone. We talked about that parable the, uh, of the feast, and not everybody that was invited was able to come. It's not just the people that we like. It's not just the people that think like us or look like us, right? It, the, it's for everyone. And the table is a place that's designed for discipleship over dinner, if you will. A place for us to share our story and listen to other people and build relationships with others while we share about our relationship with Jesus because that's how we gain strength. That's how we get to this big band in each other's lives by sharing what God has done for us and in us and through us with other people. And it's a place to speak life into someone else. So when we do these things, Jesus will become more and more real to others. And that's what we need. And they'll begin to fill their tables up too. And that's our goal of being disciples that are making more disciples. I hope this focus on the table was helpful in some way, right? Maybe just because you need to clear your table off because it was full of stuff, right? But... We hope um, and we continue to live, things, live these things out in our lives every day and fill our tables and use it as a tool to disciple others and to help our faith grow and be stretched as well. We're going to pray, and the worship team is going to come and close us out uh, with a few uh, songs. If you guys want to come on up, you can. And, uh, and just as we uh, continue to worship today, just um, be mindful moving forward, of how we can make ourselves available to other people and help change their lives through the Holy Spirit and make a huge impact on them. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you do in our lives and the way that you use us. We just pray you'll speak to us today uh, through the rest of our worship time and that you will uh, um, accept our praise and touch our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.